0: Welcome to In the Trenches, the podcast of the Michigan Freedom Fund. Here's your host, Tony Daunt. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Michigan Freedom Fund podcast, In the Trenches. Um, today with us, we have Annie Patnod, uh, State Director of AFP Michigan, and Jeff Wiggins, State Director of ABC Michigan. A little bit of an alphabet soup here, AFP, ABC, MFF. Um, they're both here joining me. Talk about taxation. Is is taxation theft? In um, in kind of more generally, some of the issues facing um, voters on the ballot in the on the March 10th primary. Uh, some of the things that have been happening here in the legislature, and maybe some um, some promises uh, that were made decade uh, you know over a decade ago and not quite kept. So, um, you know, thank you both for being here. And uh, I'll just kick it off real quickly here um, to, to, you know, start off with some good news. Actually, um, you know, those listening, I know those of you here in the room, but those listening are probably aware of uh, House Bill 5229, which was introduced back in December of 2019. Was um, was a, a series of changes to the Municipal Partnership Act. And kind of the reality of it was they were basically, the legislature was trying to shoehorn the issue of regional transit into this act that already exists and made a number of changes that we at the Michigan Freedom Fund were uh, strongly opposed to. I know um, AFP was as well, and uh, a number of um, more local activist groups in Southeast Michigan in particular. Um, but um, the good news is you know, that, that bill is dead and so um, you know wanted to recognize the the leadership the senate leadership the house leadership the speaker the majority leader um, for for listening to taxpayers for listening to the outreach from from the michigan freedom fund from afp and and others across the state who spoke out against this and um, and legislators who held firm and so we appreciate that it's always good to have a victory for taxpayers Um, you know one of the more egregious pieces in that 5229 was, you know, what basically kind of the shorthand became um, a Headley um, override. Um, You know, now technically the language provided that the new joint endeavors as they were called would be, um, the tax caps would be applicable to that, but the key change and maybe Annie, because you were the one that even pointed this out to me, you can kind of hit on that and what it did.
1: Yeah, basically what the legislation uh, tried to do is to set that high watermark that the Headley Tax Limitation Amendment sets for individual governments, also for joint authorities. So instead of the joint authority falling within the high watermark for property taxes under a participating county, it would have had its own high watermark. This was a really disturbing uh, piece of the legislation. This is something Illinois did decades ago, is to allow all of these authorities to have their own property tax jurisdictions and tax caps. And by doing that, it may technically comply with Headley, but it is certainly a violation of the principle of the Headley Tax Limitation Amendment. And basically, uh, what Headley says is, look, we need to limit the rate. At which property taxes can increase on the people, and so it's always a concern when there are ways that legislators are going to undermine yeah. Headley, and we've seen this hap- seen this happen in the past. But this legislation in particular um, would have created just a, a giant hole through the principle of Headley.
0: Well, and you know th- that combined with the fact that the the MPA, the Municipal Par- Municipal Partnership Act. Um, was something that could be applied not just in, in southeast Michigan, like the, the RTA, the Regional Transit Authority Act, um, but that it was for, for things anywhere in the state where you had a number of governments that wanted to come together and, and create a joint endeavor. Um, but that, you know, So they were basically you know, shoehorning transit into this, but you could use this for really anything. So you know, theoretically you could have one for um, you know, trash pickup uh, you could have one for transit. You could have one for the, you know, mode Jeff Wiggins Yard Fund, that type of thing. <laughs> I could probably get behind that. And uh, so it, it was it was a real undermining um, act. I think it would have undermined, uh, like you said, the 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 spirit um, of, of the I law. For sure. I think something
1: that's important for listeners to understand is Michigan is a top ten state for property taxes. And when we see people leave Michigan to go to Tennessee, to go to Florida, we so often hear this line, well, we can't compete with them with the weather. Totally agree with that. It's pretty miserable outside right now. So if we can't compete with them, I'm pretty sure our state legislature can't legislate more sun or a longer summer. But what they can do is make sure we have a good tax environment, low property taxes. And so this really would have taken us in the wrong direction. And we've definitely seen a disturbing trend toward this where drip, drip, drip. It's one millage after another, after another, and pretty soon those dollars add up to real money for taxpayers. And the sad thing about property taxes is this really hits middle and lower income people. Their investment is in their home and owning their home. And when their taxes go up and up and up, the reality reality is they can never truly
0: own their own home well it, it's a great segue you provided by talking about that drip 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 of, of millages and kind of that that constant ask of taxpayers to you know to either institute a new tax or to renew one that's current or you know it, it seems to be nonstop. Um, it another topic I wanted to touch on um, was some you know really good reporting um, by Jonathan Ustein at Bridge um, who pointed out in the last couple of weeks the number of tax issues that are on the ballot for the March 10th primary and um, you know, it, was, it was kind of in the vein of um, you've got a contested Democratic primary on March 10th, you've got an incumbent Republican president who um, you know, just historically incumbent presidents, um, you know, the, they're going to win and the turnout is low. Um, on their side. And so um, I think it's a very cynical attempt to put these things on the ballot when when they know that they're going to have a more favorable um, voting pool of of Democrats who, I mean, just the facts are, they're more likely to support tax increases than Republicans. And uh, so you know, I'm curious, your thoughts on that, Jeff? Well, and,
2: and, and I will take issue with something that you said because you said it's nonstop. It's not nonstop. It's cyclical. They aim for the elections where they know they'll have a favorable turnout of people who would likely support these renewals or these increases. They aim for the ones where there's going to be low voter turnout. Um, and it's it's despite rules to the contrary, it's easier for these municipal governments, whether they use the right language or not, to convey that this is something that the government wants to do, but they need the voters' support on it. And of course, you get into, uh, you know, whether they're using state or, pardon me, uh, public funds to advocate for these increases well, or I these renewals. Don't and, get and me you started see, on that. And, but you see <laughs> violations all over the place, and it's, it's, they still are trying to thread the needle. And you know, is that is that really how we should be increasing our property taxes? Is that really how we should be deciding? Whether we're going to invest more in our school infrastructure, or or our or our police and fire, or our library, shouldn't it be when the vote out the voter turnout is at its largest? Like, isn't that a better representation? So,
0: so you you know the the numbers, for instance, um, and, and this was pointed out in in Jonathan's reporting was that you know, in 2016, there, were, there was contested primaries in both Republican and Democratic sides. And there were about uh, 2.5 million ballots cast, which was just over half of the 4.9 million that were cast in the general election. And so that's, that's I mean, you can't argue with the numbers and the math. What do you, what do you think, you, you know, either one of you have, I know there's been a push, you know, a cyclical, you know, it seems to, that it comes up every now and then from the legislature of making these things, you know, you have to put these on a November ballot. Um, I I would be strongly in favor of that. The more voters you have deciding, I think the more more representation you've got from is, do people really want these? What are your thoughts on that? I
2: guess my initial response would be, uh, there's always a concern when you have the state come in to tell a local how they can raise money or how they can put a question. However, at the same time, this is an entity that is taking state funds, large amounts of state funds, depending on where it's being spent. So I think I think you get around that problem uh, because the state has a significant interest in, you know, if you're going to be if you're if you're asking us for x for x dollars or you need this money, yet at the same time after it's given to you, you go and raise more money. It's it's kind of a. You know, the state should ha- the state is an interest in well, that type of thing.
1: You know, I, I want to clarify something and I don't know if I'm complete completely disagreeing, but maybe a little bit. You know, the nexus of power is really resides with the states. Uh, the federal government derives its power from the states where it's supposed to. So often we see this is not the case, unfortunately, but it's supposed to. But the local governments also derive their powers from the state. They are created by the state. So when there are bad ideas on the local level or when voters are willing to even embrace really poor policy to your point the state absolutely does have an interest in saying wait a minute right. and and so i think there's this sometimes this is leveraged even by pretty strong conservatives the idea of local control mm-hmm. but local control is not like the golden calf right i mean Local control can work both ways, and we've seen this where the left will advance some pretty bad ideas and say, hey, Ann Arbor's on board with this. Okay, just because Ann Arbor's on board with it doesn't mean that it's good policy that makes our state an attractive place to live. So there's definitely a balance to achieve there, and I think when you look at, at property taxes, there's a similar
0: um, well, and that was, you know, over the last several years, um, you know, when, when Governor Snyder was in office and in, in Republican legislature, that there were several issues that got people pretty um, agitated <laughs> at the local level related to preemption, you know, local preemptions of certain things. One that comes to mind was the, um, you know, preempting and keeping local units of government from um, prohibiting plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And the thinking on that wasn't just, you know, know hey we would love to have plastic bags flying all over it was we don't need a patchwork of regulations throughout this state and whether it's plastic bags whether it's um, gas tax I know that's an issue that's been raised Mm -hmm. lately is this idea of you know local or county gas tax I I think that's a terrible idea I don't think we want a patchwork you know quilt of 83 counties with different numbers.
1: Um, And just I mean to break it down a little bit for people I don't want to take us down too much of a rabbit hole but You know, there was legislation that would have prohibited employers in the interview process from asking certain questions, and this was a local idea. Let's do this at the local level. What if you are a business that does business all over the state, but in this particular area, oh, you can't ask these questions as part of the interview process, Um, you know, I mean. That would be that is a horrible environment to create for entrepreneurs, and is a huge deterrent uh, for people to to want to have a business in Michigan. So again, just because voters in a particular area are willing to like embrace and support a bad idea doesn't necessarily mean that they should be allowed to. We we do have to look at the overall business well,
0: environment we're creating. And I think that's where it's, you know, it's incumbent on groups like us. You know, we each of us lead organizations that are, are you know, pretty taxpayer-minded, um, taxpayer-friendly. We're, we're seeking to protect them and making sure that tax dollars are used wisely. You know, Jeff, I know through um, the years, and proud to have worked with you on these issues, you know, the issue of um, uh, repealing the prevailing wage mandate, because right. That's that's not a proper use of tax dollars. And, and if we're and, sending money to these to these entities, they should be using it in the most effective and efficient way.
2: And I think Annie uh, summed my point up better than I did. Yes, it was it was more. And, and the point Shocking. I was getting the point I was getting at was that yes, the there should be some uh, focus on the right of a local to organize itself and operate. But at the same time, it is a, a subunit of the state, and the, the state has a large interest in it. And t- to your point, of prevailing wage. You, if, uh, with the local preemption stuff. We saw that uh, come up time after time. If you're a company, you know, looking to come into Michigan and, and you have to have one set of wages and benefits structure or uh, ability to abide by a plastic bag ban in, you know, Ann Arbor, and then you, you know, simply go up 23 a few miles to Livingston County and none of the none of the areas there have these type of policies it's like it's it's patchwork and it's so costly to these you know job creators and these uh, small to medium sized businesses if they're ever looking to expand it's just it's like dealing with a different bureaucratic machine everywhere you go
1: and it's not just costly to businesses and small businesses right it's costly to their customers mm-hmm. Because in the end, some of that cost, or maybe even all of that cost, ultimately is passed on. Well, that so th- it's the hidden tax.
2: Y- you're not going to find a business owner who gets a cost put on them by government that is going to eat that. It's going to be reflected in what they're selling or the services they're providing and at the end the consumer or the taxpayer is the one that pays the bills. It's,
0: it's like, kind of like that old adage that's you know applicable in all every level of life is the the, the S rolls downhill right And so it ultimately becomes becomes our, our problem and our our cost. Now I, I want to get back a little bit to, to this issue of these um, these uh, local tax issues you know according to, according to the reporting, um, it was, I think it was like 200, a little more than 240 local ballot proposals for March 10. Um, you know, I, I, that's, that's a pretty high number. Um, I think there was one area that had nine, um, somewhere up in the UP had nine that will be on the ballot all at once. So
2: saving, um, them, saving them up?
0: I guess so. <laughs> uh, but one, one that really stuck out to me for its cynicism, um, and maybe I'm looking at this wrong, but was the, the DIA renewal and I think, you know, for those who aren't quite familiar, the Detroit Institute of Arts, and uh, that's what DIA stands for, and back in 2012, and I believe this was part of um, kind of the the whole bailout um, issue, um, or somewhat related to it, was they had a 10-year millage um, in 2012 where, at the time, they pledged that it would be basically temporary, that by the time this expired in 2022, This millage, this tax on Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb property owners um, would go away and the museum would be basically self-sufficient. They've decided that, you know what, we can tell this isn't going to be the case and we're going to ask for a renewal, but we're just going to coincidentally ask for this renewal and move it up a couple years and put it on the March 10th primary election with um, a contested Democratic primary. What do you make of that?
1: Well, I mean, again, this is a trend, right? I, uh, my home county is St. Joseph County. They had two millages on the ballot for the May election, which both passed, you can't see me, but air quotes, with a landslide. And I thought, hmm, landslide, huh? It was, I think, 800 votes to like 1,200 votes, something like that. Oh, well, all right, so does sound like a landslide. Oh, wait a minute. 35,000 active voters in that county. Below 10% of active voters. That's not even all registered voters. That's not even all citizens. That's just active. So this is a trend and this is the same goal with the Detroit Institute of the Arts uh, where you know, they want to put it on the ballot. that's gonna be most advantageous where they probably have to spend the least amount of money to get it over the finish line. Um, I mean, I, it, yeah, it's, I'd i love to see a reform that says we're going to allow you to vote on whether you want an additional millage on your personal property tax bill for the DIA. Well, see it, how things turn out.
2: Uh, you know, the DIA, I'm, I'm a big fan of the DIA. I love the DIA. I love going there. Uh, Tony, I don't know if you know this. I'm, I'm a pretty cultured guy, you know. <laughs> um, I can tell well, by that haircut. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, fantastic Sam's. Great deal. Um, no, but the the whole point is if they wouldn't have said that they were going to be, I, th- I think that's the biggest problem I have with this is that they said they would be self-sufficient. And if you were, then great. But if not, now, now this is turning into a permanent tax. And it's, and it's whether it's this DIA renewal or it's um, you know giving away tax credits or, or, or whatever to build a new stadium. Um, at the end of the day, it's the taxpayers always, always footing the bill and a lot of the time they don't get the investment they were promised whether it's uh, uh, you know build up around the stadium more people going down there more businesses investing more living places uh, you know places to live down there or whether it's with you know giving out tax credits for for you know in exchange for jobs and those jobs don't come to fruition and the business still gets the tax credits at at a lot of the time. And so I think this is right in line with that where they were promised one thing and they're getting another. And that's why people get upset with a lot of these things. Well, I
1: think another pertinent point is you never see millage requests for things that aren't sexy, right? It's always... Police and schools and fire senior center, you name it, right? You know, never saw something on the millage that was for trying to think of something that wouldn't be.
0: (laughs) Government is so sexy; it's hard to find something. come up with something
1: that's not appealing, (laughs) you know. Uh, But but it's always for things like that. But people need to remember that fun. It's money is all fungible. So that is allowing them to then go spend the money they otherwise would have spent on DIA, schools, whatever it is, on things that maybe voters would say, well, I'm not quite sure that that is a good investment. So, you you know, uh, local pension reform we've talked about. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you want to fund all these increases in retirement for... Uh, somebody who retired from the county you know 30 years ago
0: well and Jeff you you hit on um, a, a good point too of the you know it's it's temporary but it's how temporary is Not it temporary and yeah. it reminds me of the 2007 temporary air quotes uh, tax hike on Michigan residents uh, with Governor Granholm and We were at 3.9% personal income tax rate then, and to help with the budget crisis, or at least the the claim was to help with the budget crisis and raise, I think it was was three quarters of a billion dollars with that tax hike, took it up to 4.35%, and we're told that it would start to roll back a few years down the road, and by 2012, we'd be back at 3.9%. And we're in 2020, so 13 years on here, and we're at 4.25 percent. So we got that uh, tenth of a percent <laughs> down, a percentage, yeah. but it, it is exactly the point that you're making of what it temp- I d- when government says it's temporary, it's a temporary tax hike, it's a temporary spending increase. There's no such thing as temporary when it comes to government programs, and I think that is entirely frustrating.
2: Well, and I think I think it goes to a larger argument where you know groups like ours usually get pinged with oh well you just don't want to be taxed you don't you don't want to invest in government and uh, you know that may be that's neither here nor there Some, but yes, a little <laughs> but, bit <laughs> but 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 at the same time it's it's more of a well we've been told time and time and time and time again that oh we just need a little bit more money here oh we just need a little bit more money here and then and then nothing Changes. Government still has the same problems. It's just grown exponentially, and they need to keep raising taxes uh, to feed the beast. And at the end of the day, you have to determine what the role of government is supposed to be. And if you keep adding new responsibilities to government, you're going to keep getting tax increases. You're going to keep milking the taxpayers of more money, and and government's never gonna never gonna stop. It's,
0: it's like it's like you know. Uh, us as individuals, where you know, if you the more you take on, let's you know, say you, you want to be active in, in Rotary, you want to be active in your church, you've got a job to do, you've got family, and your kids have sports events. Well, the more you take on, that you're spreading yourself so thin that you're not getting any of those things done well. Mm-hmm. It's better to mm-hmm. focus on a few of those priorities and do them well. And that got that message is entirely lost on government, unfortunately.
1: So even though, I mean, you know, talk about taxes. Like, there's revenue. I mean, now there's going to be revenue right from the legal marijuana business. Um, uh, there was revenue from the uh, lottery, right? That go to schools. I think. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they gave. They gave. A, right? Well, they
2: gave a billion dollars so, to but, the school, but now with the sports gambling
1: too. Right. And start, so, but yeah. yet, what is it? Fifty percent of kids can't read at grade level. Over fifty. I mean. Again, what kind of value are we really getting here? roads is another great example. I mean, you talk about the temporary income tax hike and the revenue from the income tax since the dark days of 2009 has increased because there's more people working and they're making more money. And so if you look at the revenue estimates that have come in, right, the proje- there has been surpluses. And yet what happens to all those dollars? They are never returned to taxpayers. They are dug into government The governor, in fact,
0: vetoed $400 million of extra money for roads. So, I, I think,
1: um,
2: I, I just, and just one more prime example that I think everybody can get on the same page with. Annie, you got kids. Tony, you have a daughter. I got kids. So other people depend on us to put food on the table, et cetera. When the bills don't add up to the income, when things can't, we, we can't make the numbers work, we cut things out, we unsubscribe from Netflix, or we don't go out to eat, or we cut the cable bill, or whatever it is. Only in government can you, can you go to somebody else and say, uh, we need more money. And oh, by the way, sometimes with, with this you know, regional authority, uh, sometimes you might not have a vote on it at all after, after it's created. So it's, it's, it's the only place in the, in the world, in our society, where um, nobody operates under a, a budget type structure that actually makes sense
0: well i this has been a great conversation Uh, i think i'll put each of you on the spot real quickly as because we've talked about taxation and and you know the various criticisms of how things are done what what would you consider um, like if you could wave your magic wand and do one thing to improve the the tax climate here in michigan what would you do we'll start with (laughs) jeff
2: well, I, I I think it's the last thing you touched on. The idea that we tax the labor of an individual is probably the most insulting thing to think of in a free society. You work for that money, you, you get taxed on everything else. You get taxed when you know, you, you register to drive your car, you get taxed, you know, you get taxed everywhere else. Sales tax income, you know, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I think the one thing that everybody has that is theirs, that cannot be taken from them, is their labor, is their skills. And the fact that government can come in and take money from you simply by doing a hard day's work is absurd to me. So I would absolutely love to see the Michigan income tax go away. I understand there are so many things tied to it. It's a much larger discussion than than just taking a stance on it now. But I think finding a way around that would be... uh, Monster, uh, uh, yeah, it'd be it, it'd be huge for the state of Michigan, and it would attract more people here. Annie,
1: lest I say the same thing, um, but I really echo Jeff's thoughts. But I would say a taxpayer bill of rights, such as Colorado has, that actually puts a cap on the amount of taxes government can collect, and when taxes exceed that limit, they are actually returned to taxpayers. And in that state, um, the, government, the state government has to ask permission if they want to keep that surplus. It is one of the most effective restraints on taxes in the country, and you can tell because it is constantly being attacked, but it has made Colorado a very appealing place to live. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, both of you. Uh, Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again in the coming weeks.
2: Thank you, Tony. And I'll get you the name of my barber, by the
0: way. Oh, thank you. (laughs)
1: Thanks, Tony.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us in the trenches. To learn more about the Michigan Freedom Fund, please visit our website at www.michiganfreedomfund.com and sign up for our weekly email, The Frontlines of Freedom. In the Trenches is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and SoundCloud. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends. Thank you for listening.